Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is chat number 11, Howard Stern, Alan Rickman, Ron DeSantis, the American Climate Corps, Unions, Taylor Swift, Mitt Romney, Government Dysfunction, Barbers Hill, Dalai Lama, Tony Blinken, Albert Einstein, again, and Confucius are today's chat topics. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, for that very kind introduction. This is Dave. And I am Lee. And welcome to another podcast in the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is season three, and this is chat number 11. So we're delighted to have you all here. And in addition to Lee and Dave, we've got... A special guest star. We do. (laughs) Krista Fogelman. Yay! My sister, my sister, welcome. <laughs> Hello, my brother, I'm Mr. Lee. <laughs> welcome, Krista. Delighted to be here, delighted to be here. Yeah, honored, yeah. honored, in fact, I think I need to say well, that. Well, there you do, go. Let's we'll, don't overdo we'll, it. We will take any honor we can give. <laughs> so thank you for that. And as always, welcome to our present day audience, our audience in, let's go backwards this time, in centuries, decades, and even years. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, kind of, we kind of switched that all out this Good. time, didn't we? Yeah. Good. Okay. From now, our future AI audience Mm -hmm. our future alien audience i usually do the sound effects when you're introing this so we're kind of oh krista she's already in here well done yeah (laughs) contributing instantly thank you very much and our universal audience so glad to have all of you listening and thanks for joining us and our starting questions that we always ask what are your ideals and what are your pictures Well, very good, Dave. And again, welcome, Krista. We are going to kick this uh, chaos off with a uh, topic about language and words. And in several previous podcasts, I'm sure you've heard Dave and I talk about how language matters, right? Language and words are the symbology that we use to express and convey ideas. That's the tool we have available to us. So we're going to revisit the use of the word Woke, W-O-K-E, woke. We've talked about this before. Yes, we have. What a weird abuse of that word is attempted in some (laughs) quarters of society these days. So, interviewer and radio host Howard Stern. Non-controversial. Non-controversial, very conservative Howard. (laughs) He had a response when some people began to describe him as woke. As if being woke means supporting equality, science, and democracy. Stern is happy to be branded as woke. Quote, I hear that a lot, that I'm not good anymore because I'm woke, Stern said on his Sirius XM radio show. I kind of take that as a compliment that I'm woke. I'll tell you how I feel about it. To me, the opposite of woke is being asleep. And if woke means I can't get behind Trump, which is what I think it means, or that I support people who want to be transgender, or I'm for the vaccine, dude... Call me woke as you blanking want. End quote. This is a family show. Yes, PG-13. <laughs> Stern celebrated COVID-19 vaccines, telling his listeners he recently got the new booster shot, and he mocked former President Donald Trump's lie that the 2020 election was stolen. Quote, I am woke, and I love it. I want to be awake. I want to read legitimate news sources. Here's how woke I am. I believe the election was not rigged. Lee, this reminds me and Krista of uh, a phrase that uh, Krista's and my dad used to say a lot 
that is very meaningful to me. And he would say, I've realized the importance of paying attention. And this, you know, deriding uh, and use of the word woke is really a way of just saying, stay asleep. Right. Don't notice things. Don't notice things. There's nothing to see over here. Yeah. Pay no attention to the, it's the Wizard of Oz thing, right? Right. And and so the importance of paying attention really is striking to me here. Isn't it a contradiction to the common usage of the term like, wake up and smell the coffee? Right. Yes. You know, I mean, these are things people say to you, wake up, wake up. Yeah. It's a good thing. Generally considered a good thing. Usually considered a good thing. That's (laughs) right. Awareness tends to be a good thing. So, well, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary we all know and love, defines woke as being aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice, end quote. This term really has been hijacked in recent years by conservatives who use it liberally. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Conservatives who use it liberally. Very clever. (laughs) Well done. Well done. You guys are quick. You really are. And at times. I was asleep. (laughs) I was unwoke. You didn't notice that. Unwoke. Did that wake you up? Okay. (laughs) But it does, you get used really nonsensically in culture war discussions. It's treated as a catch-all for criticizing any progressive value that you happen not to like and just about anything else that uh, you wish you could deride degrade yeah somehow make uh, it seem unimportant or silly really a call to not change anything yeah. and to not notice anything yes yeah yes yeah. exactly yeah so this abuse of this simple word woke also is an example of really a tendency to dismiss someone else's words or to change the intent and context of their words it, it gets used that way and uh, we came across a really interesting quote from the actor Alan Rickman, and he was talking about the importance of listening and was really talking about, and we, and we have discussed before, active listening and how powerful it is as a life tool to listen and to listen well, which is part of paying attention. And he had a great quote where he was asked about how he puts together a role and how he's going to present that role in the script and words he used. And he said something very interesting. He said, you only speak because you wish to respond to something you've heard. So the notion of an actor going away and looking at a speech they have in their bedroom alone at night is a complete nonsense to me. What you have to say is completely incidental. All I want to see from an actor is the intensity and accuracy of their listening. And then what you have to say will become automatic. Now, I think we would say that's half of the equation. Yes. Right? The other half of the equation is having pure clarity about what you believe in, the future you believe in, the ideals you have. And when you're expressing yourself as you, that you do that in that very, very pure form. But then when you're on the receiving end or the reactive end, what a great recipe mm-hmm. for how to really engage with somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Wise words from Rickman. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's transition to our second topic for this chat. We have shared our picture for the environment and for planet Earth. So what's the latest on how we're doing there? Oh, we're going to hmm? check in on that, huh? Yeah, let's yeah. do. How's the globe doing? So September, the month just passed, set another record for warm temperatures. After months of record planetary warmth, temperatures have become even more abnormal in recent weeks, nearing a key climate threshold and adding to near certainty that 2023 
will be the warmest year on record. Gosh, Krista, that sounds like things are really getting a lot, lot worse. But wait, wait. What? what? Wait, I have something for you. Oh, good. We have another perspective on how things are going for the climate. Thank goodness. You're going to be happy to hear this. It's from that famous climatologist, Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida. I know you know you, climatologist Ron DeSantis. You didn't know that, did you? But oh. yes, he is a famous climatologist because he's willing to opine <laughs> on climate change. Okay. And he says that climate is actually safer now. He says that humans are safer than ever. And that's a quote oh. from the threat of climate change. And he blasted the Biden administration's efforts to address the phenomenon as he unveiled an oil and gas first energy plan. DeSant- wow. DeSantis, who we all know in this time and place, is vying for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, made these comments during a speech in Midland, Texas. Ah. Now being a Texas girl, I can tell you for sure that is the deep middle of oil and gas Home country. Home of the Permian Basin. Home and of the Permian a, Basin. A lot, of, a lot of dinosaurs died there. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and we've been pulling from that basin for a long time. And one uh, might argue that there's still dinosaur thinking. Ah, oh, oh, ooh, okay. excellent nice. link nice. up there, We're, we're high-fiving here. Okay. <laughs> uh, he pledged to enact a slew of policies to roll back efforts to address climate change. This is if he is elected president, uh, including proposals to make electric vehicles more expensive, ramp up domestic production of fossil fuels, and to remove the U.S. from the landmark Paris Climate Agreement. Mm, Again. (laughs) Claiming that Democrats were trying to, quote, circumscribe your ambitions. They're even telling our younger generations to have fewer children or not to even have children on the grounds that somehow children are going to make our climate and planet unlivable. And that's wrong to say. That's the end of the quote. Most of the people that I know who care deeply about climate change, one of the first things they'll say about why they care is their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, their nephews, their young friends. What will their world be like? Exactly. It's a completely contradictory to Governor DeSantis's view of this situation. Yeah, I assume he didn't say who these Democrats were or where he found them because I haven't met them. I haven't met them either, but and I know a lot of them. In absolute blatant disregard of Mr. DeSantis's suck up to the oil and gas industries. On September 20th, the Biden administration announced the creation of the American Climate Corps. This is going to be a group of more than 20,000 young Americans who are going to learn to work in clean energy, conservation, and climate resilience, while also earning good wages and addressing climate change. The ACC, as it's called, will prioritize hiring within communities that are traditionally left behind, as well as addressing needs of those communities that have borne the brunt of climate change. You might ask whether or not people generally, the citizenry, believes that this is a good idea. And in January, there was a poll that showed that a climate core like this is a popular notion. A group called Data for Progress found that voters supported a core like this by a margin of 39 points. Hmm. Voters under 45 supported it by a margin of 51 points. Now, there would be some who would probably say, yeah, what do they know? They're just voters. They're just citizens. They're what, just, what do they know? You know, what do they know? <laughs> right, right. And this is, this is an idea, too, that's been 
tested before, as we know, during the Depression in the exactly. 1930s. The Civilian Conservation Corps, was that the name of it? Yes. yes. Civilian Conservation Corps. And the Works Progress Administration, the WPA. Yes. yes. These are all things that put people to work and improved the, the country's infrastructure and arts. And all of those things have really lasted through the years. Yeah, worked remarkably well. Why would we want to revisit something that works so well? Uh, go figure. <laughs> I know. Go figure. I have one final comment on why voters under the age of 45 might support this notion. They have a little longer to live on this planet. Yeah. Yes. And they might like to have a brighter future than it appears to be now. Yeah. So in our picture for government in the future, as we continue our thoughts about voting, Equal access to voting, we think, is a critical guiding principle. And Taylor Swift, hello Taylor, global phenomenon, <laughs> some Tay Tay fans here, <laughs> is helping to get out the vote in a recent Swift Instagram. Is that a Swiftygram? Swiftygram, I like that. The singer songwriter wrote, I've been so lucky to see so many of you guys at my U.S. shows recently. I've heard you raise your voices, and I know how powerful they are. Make sure you're ready to use them in our elections this year. And Swift linked to Vote.org's platform in her Instagram post. The organization says Swift has partnered with them for the past few years. Vote.org says that this was their largest National Voter Registration Day since 2020. Okay. And that it saw a 115% increase wow. in 18-year-olds who registered compared to last year's registration drive. Overall, more than 150,000 eligible voters came to the site on one day alone. Wow. The group attributed the spike in visitors to its site to Swift's Instagram post calling on fans to register to vote. In other words... Look what she made them do. By reminding her fans, her supporters, her followers, there is a blank space in their voter registration. Okay, like everybody else, when we're talking about Taylor, we have to use her lyrics. Of course. And her song titles in some way. So, yeah, we're guilty too. Okay. Isn't that fantastic that she did that? I mean, and that that she has the power to encourage people to action. I mean, they she says, do this, and they... Think about it and think, well, that's a good idea. I guess I'll go do it. And then it makes a difference. It and really we've does. talked about when there is a public figure like her, and there are very few that come along like that, but the power they have to do something like getting people to register to vote. Once you register, then you tend to vote the rest of your life. And so getting young people to do that has this ripple effect that is almost impossible to calculate. I do, I do think that one of the changes that I hear from the, a lot of the young people that I know over the last five to 10 years is I used to be told it doesn't matter if I vote. It doesn't make a difference. The parties are the same. And and, and that, I think that's really changed that people understand that there can be a huge difference in your life right. by how, how uh, the election goes. And yep. therefore, Absolutely. get in there and vote. Do it. All right. Now, Shifting topics a bit, in a variety of our pictures, we reflect equality. And when a large group of people receive unequal treatment of any type, we usually see them band together in some fashion to ask for equality. It always seems to shock the power structure that, I know. that they have a system of inequality and the people who are suffering from that sometimes kind of get together and go, wait a minute, and then they're shocked by that. Yes. How strange. And yet, what a wonderfully American and human thing to do to say to your fellow fellow persons, 
I'm not happy with this. Are you not happy with this? Yes. Let's do something about it together. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I know. One result of that phenomenon is that we've seen a re-rise of unions. Hmm. On the writer strike, which ended September 25th of this year, negotiators for Hollywood Studios and the Writers Guild of America reached a breakthrough agreement after five straight days of negotiations. Five straight days. That must have been fun. I have been in union negotiations. Yes. It went a long time. And it's, yes, you get tired and you drink way too much coffee. A tentative deal to end a strike that has halted most TV and film script writing in the country. September 15th, after workers' four-year contracts expired, the United Auto Workers Union declared a limited and target work stoppage in which about 13,000 workers walked off the job at three Midwestern auto plants. These workers had accepted major concessions in 2007. A difficult economic time. It was a rotten economic time, and the auto manufacturers were on their backs. It was really hit or miss whether the major the major manufacturers were going to be able to survive. And the workers understood that, the union understood that, and concessions were made that preserved people's jobs and let the manufacturers continue to, to operate, and which was in everybody's interest. But uh, part of what the unions did during that negotiation years ago was to accept a two-tier wage system. This mm-hmm. is in union parlance is often called a B-scale. Mm-hmm. And um, so workers who were hired after 2007 started and then continued to be paid at a lower wage than mm. a lower hourly rate or wage than the people who had been on the property before. Mm-hmm. But then the industry recovered and the automakers' profits skyrocketed. Should be good for everybody, right? Should be. Uh, the automakers' chief executive officer's pay soared. General Motors CEO Mary Barra made almost $29 million in well, 2022. How much? That would be 29 and it would be two mi- nine million million in one year. Yes. Hmm. I'm sure she worked very hard. I'm sure, she did. You could buy a fully loaded Chevy Impala for that. For that, man. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe two. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> but what happened to the workers' wages and benefits during that period? Well, they must have gone up, I assume, just as much, right? Yeah, all boats rise. Um, yeah. Let me give you a comparison. Barra, for example, made 362 times the median General Motors employees' paycheck. Say, I'm sorry, again, how much? Barra made 362 times the median General Motors employees' paycheck. So the guy who's on the line putting the car together, she makes... 362 times more, not two or three times, 362 times more than he does or she does. Unimaginable. And what's happened to auto workers' pay, given that there's been inflation over those years, fallen behind by 19%. So they not only have not kept up with the increased economy, they've actually fallen farther behind. That is true. Wow. And this, to me, is just not fair. Under anybody's idea of fairness, those kinds of discrepancies and that kind of falling backward when the automakers are doing very well. It's not like they're still on their backs. They're doing really well. Not fair. Not Didn't your mom tell you to share? Yeah. 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 Where'd that word get lost? Mm. Yeah. Somewhere along the way. Yeah. We have talked about uh, now just in this podcast, two or three different pictures. We've talked about a picture for government and things going on in relation to that. We've talked about a picture for equality for all. 
with what Krista's just been talking about. And we've talked about in other podcasts how these pictures link together and how multiple things need to happen lots of times to correct a situation. And included in this is a picture for money and materialism that we've that we have expressed in the book and in podcasts. And so the new UAW president, Sean Fain, in the course of this entire negotiation, uh, said that his position is not just about auto workers, it's about all U.S. workers. And here was a quote from him. Our fight is not just for ourselves, but for every worker who is being undervalued, for every retiree who's given their all and feels forgotten, and for every future worker who deserves a fair chance at a prosperous life. We're all fed up of living in a world that values profits over people. We're all fed up with seeing the rich get richer while the rest of us continue to just scrape by. We're all fed up with corporate greed and together we're going to fight to change it. Every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. So we would just say through all of these pictures, none of them are in isolation. Right. Things need to happen at the same time for something to really change. Yeah, for systemic change, right. lasting change, sustainable right. change. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. An example of that would be maybe in an individual union uh, negotiation, maybe the union workers would, quote, win that negotiation. But that may or may not be sustainable, right? And it's not going to cure all of the problems. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the popularity of unions in the United States is at a 60-year high. Wait, Lee. So as, as income inequality gets to be greater and greater, yes. actually the popularity of unions is, is rising? Is increasing. What a shock. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Those were trying to oppress their what? They're I getting know. together? I know. Damn it. It's so much easier to oppress individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 71% of Americans now approve of labor unions. Although statistically similar to 68% from the previous year, it is up from 64% before the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And it's the highest that the Gallup polling organization has recorded on this metric since 1965. Wow. 16% of Americans... 1965 being... The landslide victory of Lyndon Johnson, the Great Society, yes, and almost an FDR type, yes, of feeling in the country mm -hmm. about trying to solve social problems. Absolutely interesting. So, sixteen percent of Americans today live in a household where at least one resident of that household is a union member. Knowing someone who's in a union also sensitizes people so the more the merrier this this also reminds me of an, an image that's from my childhood of a watermelon seed i don't know if you've ever tried to pick up a watermelon seed it's tough it's quite difficult <laughs> you, you push down on it and it pops away it pops up push down on people enough they will find a way to pop out of it if you know it may take some time uh, it may take some pain but uh, people will find a way to do it and i think unions are i don't know if they like being analogized to a watermelon seed, but <laughs> but I mean it as a compliment. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's apt. <laughs> so we have a picture for government in the future, the need for which gets underscored every day by the utter dysfunction of governments around the world and certainly here in the United States. On September 15th, Senator Mitt Romney, previously a candidate for president, announced that he would not run for re-election as a senator. That announcement came just as The Atlantic Magazine, 
published an excerpt from a forthcoming biography of Romney by McKay Coppins in which Romney expressed disgust with his Republican colleagues in the Senate for feeding Trump's lies to their voters in exchange for power. He acknowledged that, quote, a very large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution, close quote. That's a remarkable statement from someone who has been in public service for, he was governor, senator, as I said, candidate for the presidency. He's a renowned and well-respected corporate executive in his earlier life. Mm-hmm. Um, for him to be willing to say that as bluntly as he did, yeah. to me, is quite striking. Yeah, I disagree with him on all sorts of issues. I yep. didn't vote for him when he ran for president, but I think he's a, a good-hearted person who tries to do the right thing. Yes, agreed. And I think he's been widely respected on both sides of the political Agreed. aisle. Yeah, Agreed. That's true. Yeah. So on September 26, a judge in New York ruled that Donald J. Trump, former president of the United States, persistently committed fraud by inflating the value of his assets. And the judge stripped the former president of control over some of his signature New York properties. So this recent court decision is a major victory for New York Attorney General Letitia James, who has brought suit against Mr. Trump on behalf of the state of New York. It effectively decided that no trial was needed to determine that Trump had fraudulently secured favorable terms on loans and on insurance deals. Attorney General James has argued that Trump inflated the value of his properties by as much as $2.2 billion. And she is seeking a penalty of about $250 million in a trial scheduled to begin soon. Justice Engeron wrote that the annual financial statements that Mr. Trump submitted to banks and insurance companies, quote, clearly contain fraudulent valuations that defendants used in business. And we just wanted to lift this story up along with the Romney story to talk about equal application of the law and nobody being above the law. And that's one of our government North Star pieces in our picture. And there are people who believe they are just above the law or that the rules don't apply to them. Yes. Another aspect of our thinking about government is that to many Americans now, government dysfunction is really the new normal. In an October 1 article by Peter Baker, he says that America, it seems, has come to expect crisis. In an era of disruption and polarization and insurrection, with a former president facing 93 felony counts and four criminal indictments, and a sitting president facing an impeachment inquiry, and a House Speaker recently ousted by the House Republican Caucus, the country has grown accustomed to chaos in the Capitol. Dysfunction is the new normal, And as Claire McCaskill, Democrat from Missouri, said, that is a big part of the problem. Dysfunction and chaos are now in the political bloodstream. Former Representative Carlos Curbelo, Republican of Florida, said that a small minority of his party had no problem trying to wreak havoc on the institution and would continue to do so unless there was a political price to be paid. This this is just staggering to me, where where you have clearly people that are running for office to be part of the government who then want the government to fail. 
and then once it is failing, turn around and say, see, you shouldn't have government. We ought to just be able to go do what we want to do. Leave us alone. We're the powerful. We're the rich. We're males. We're white. And it is staggering to me that anybody would consciously go out trying to undermine our government. It's incredible. And I appreciate this quote from Claire McCaskill because I had not really thought about the effect of the ongoing daily, daily news about the dysfunction and how people on the Hill probably aren't even hearing complaints about that anymore. It's just like, well, oh well. But we need to keep complaining. We need to keep saying that this is not normal. (laughs) This is not good. And part Um, of what we have... It's just... Yeah. Part of what we've recognized in our picture for government is that both here in the United States, but also globally, uh, there is dissatisfaction with government. It's really a global phenomenon if you see polls that reflect that. Yeah, it absolutely is global, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. I think the three of us on this podcast would agree that change in government is good, right? It's necessary. It's appropriate. But I think we would agree that creating a positive picture for change is a preferable way to go. Yes. Not creating chaos and dysfunction and a negative picture for change. Yes. And that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. So all of these things that we're quoting here are really around what people are thinking and dealing with right now as it relates to government. Those of you in the future, you are at a different place as you're listening to this. But some of this is to give you the flavor of the discourse that's going on and what people are dealing with as clearly a new picture for government here and globally is needed. Yes. But boy, that's that's a tall order. It is. It, it feels scary to even contemplate doing that. And I hope that the future audience that hears this looks back on this time period and thinks about it perhaps in the same way we think about Europe in the 1300s yeah. where armies go back and forth and back and forth and it's clear it's uh, the people are suffering. It's not working. Nothing is being accomplished that matters to the vast majority of the population. This, this is a little bit like that. Ergo, the establishment of a new concept called nations and countries back then that, that then took all of society to a new step. And now we're seeing the limitations mm-hmm. of that concept. And uh, what do we go do? We need something different. There's a political science professor at Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina, named David McLennan. Uh, He's director of the university's poll, and he said the cascade of once rare eruptions in Washington, shutdowns, impeachment, criminal trials, internal revolt, had fed into a broader sense of disenchantment with the direction of the country that has seeped down to the state level. He calls it a contagion effect. Mm -hmm. Interesting phrase. He says there is no demographic group where the majority of people think things are going well in the country. Partisans, Democrats, Republicans, and unaffiliated voters all think things are going poorly. There's the president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget named Maya McGinnis. I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And she has said our expectations have plummeted and we have become dangerously numb, numb to the failures of our government. I think you all were alluding to that earlier in your exchange. She said it gets increasingly difficult to see how we turn this around and maintain our role in the world. The only way it can change is if we make demands of our leaders that are driven not by more outrage, 
but by a desire for the country to become more unified. And I think that there's an interesting phrase here, maintain our role in the world. And we're now going to do a shift to a gentleman who's involved with our role in the world. And so connecting those two things together a bit, Lee. So as Dave said, some actually do see and recognize and identify the need for a new picture for government. In a recent major speech, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken explained the place at which the United States finds itself in both foreign and domestic affairs. He told his audience that the end of the Cold War, a period of competition between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, along with their respective allies, it ushered in, quote, the promise of an inexorable march toward greater peace and stability toward international cooperation, toward economic interdependence, political liberalization, human rights, end quote. That post-war period did indeed lift more than a billion people from poverty. It eliminated a great many deadly diseases, and it ushered in a period of historically low conflict among nations. Despite challenges such as the 2008 global financial crisis, the COVID-19 health pandemic, and regional conflicts like those in Rwanda and Iraq. Blinken said, but what we're experiencing now is more than a test of the post-Cold War order. It's the end of it. Hmm. Blinken further explained, the international economic order of the past several decades is flawed in ways that have caused people to lose faith in it. Technology and globalization have hollowed out entire industries and have weakened workers while laws have protected property. Inequality grew dramatically between 1980 and 2020 with the richest 0.1%, that's one-tenth of 1%, accumulating the same wealth as the poorest 50%. Hmm. President of General Motors, anyone? Yes. God, this is kind of like that, isn't it? It is kind of like that. Huh. You're quite right. I can't get over that percentage, those, that comparison. It's just remarkable. All right. Blinken pointed out the longer these disparities persist, the more distrust and disillusionment they fuel in people who feel the system is not giving them a fair shake. And the more they exacerbate other drivers of political polarization, amplified by algorithms that reinforce our biases rather than allowing the best ideas to rise to the top. I find it so reassuring and hopeful that we have somebody who is the Secretary of State who is representing the country to the rest of the world is saying things like this. Yes. So amidst all of the difficulties and challenges that we're describing here, we have such hopeful voices. It's just amazing. And it is interesting to go back to the word woke that we referred to at the beginning And looking at the statistics, Krista, that you gave and how numb people have gotten to these trends in so many cases. And we need to unnumb. We do need to wake up to what's going on here. And a lot of people are. Yes. And saying we have to make a change. So Blinken continues to say that democracies are under threat. And he says, challenge from the inside by elected leaders who exploit resentments and stoke fears who erode independent judiciaries and the media, who enrich cronies, who crack down on civil society and political opposition, and challenged from the outside by autocrats who spread disinformation, who weaponize corruption, and who meddle 
in elections. Blinken says the post-Cold War order is over. I'm going to repeat that. The post-Cold War order is over. He's saying we're entering a new era. Yes. And it's unavoidable. Yes. And he says one era is ending, a new one is beginning, and the decisions that we make now will shape the future for decades to come. Hmm, Sounds like we need a new picture. Yeah. So looking back from the future, Blinken continued, the right decisions tend to look obvious. Future, and, future listeners. Yes. And the end results, Blinken said, are almost inevitable. They never are. In real time, it's a fog. We must put our hand on the rudder of history and chart a path forward, guided by the things that are certain, even in uncertain times. What are those things? Our principles, our partners, our vision for where we would want to go. So that when the fog lifts, the world that emerges tilts toward freedom toward peace, toward an international community capable of rising to the challenges of its time. You know what Blinken just did there, without using terms we've used in this podcast series, he articulated a picture. Exactly. Yeah. I was struck by the the use of the word vision. One of the results of listening to the podcast the two of you have done, truly it has, it has sensitized me to the number of ways and times that people use a picture image when they're thinking about something that's going to happen, they want to happen, that has happened. It, it's, it's quite remarkable how powerful that concept and is. And trying to influence other people, having that visual sharing helps. Sharing that visual makes a big difference. Some of us are confused by the fact that our national governmental approach on Earth isn't working now and has outlasted its use. Instead of turning to a new model, like our picture for government, some want to try a Let's let autocrats and dictators carve up the world and abusively run it based on their selfish and horrific whims. But we've done that already. As a species, that's been done over and over. It doesn't work. And ultimately, people reject it to try for something better and something good. So we need a new picture, too. It's still not going to work. It's been tried. Oh, oh, these guys just want power. Okay, just give it to them. And they're going to use it selfishly. It doesn't doesn't. work Work. it's never worked stop (laughs) it's not going to work again it will will be a crap show (laughs) a crap show technical term yes one of the things i like about blinken's speech is one of the many things i like about it is the humility of not pretending to know Yes. What should happen, exactly what we should do, that we should be in charge, or any aspect of it. He admits that there's a fog, and we do our best, and we need to do better than we're doing now. Uh, I appreciate that, particularly coming from an American Secretary of State. I think that's uh, um, an invitation to the rest of the world to join us and not to be saying to them, you follow us. Absolutely. it's, uh, it's, It's a... It's an invitation, and I think that's that's a good way to approach the effort to solve solve the collection of problems that we have. And when you're presenting a picture and you know that it's dramatically different than what the reality is today, and a lot of our pictures on social issues are like that, including our one for government, you know, having a global government. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you know, that is not going to happen tomorrow. The way it will happen, though, is by bringing it up and talking about it and letting people absorb that 
internalize that. And then what those steps are, as you're describing, it, it is a fog. We don't know what the steps are from where we are exactly to that picture, although we do describe those in the book, how they how it could go. But you have to express that future vision and then let let the public, let other people kind of, hmm, that, and that's how things happen. So, so we are seeing a rising dissatisfaction with our current reality of our politics and government, yet we are often slow to recognize opportunities for big changes in those structures then to match that reality of our world. Uh, some of us will turn to the deception of misinformation or just not listening to each other or imagined enemies or fears of our creation. And then we may turn to the creation of our own little fantasy world about the way the world is or the way other people are that we don't personally know. And we know that we can create communities, small communities that are based on our fears. Yes. As we've discussed before. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of, let's, hey, Lee, let's go. We're both afraid of something. Let's go create our own little fantasy world mm -hmm. about the way the world is. It's our own little fear club. Yeah. Yeah. And here's, let's, let's, what if the, what if we say the world is like this? Right. The reality though is staring us in the face mm -hmm. and our fantasy world is not real. And so it begs almost this personal question. I think we all deal with this some today. Do we want reality? Do we want truth or do we want to invent our fantasy truth, our fantasy world. I, it, to me, it seems like a point of personal reflection mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. every one of us, given where the world is today. Mm -hmm. And as a practical matter, shifting from the emotion of what you want, the practical matter, which one's likely to last longer? Yeah. Yeah. And, and create the most value for the most people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So... A little bit of a transition here, although still absolutely appropriate and relevant to our preceding discussion. We like a guy named Albert Einstein. Perhaps you've heard of him, the, arguably the most brilliant physicist in the uh, history of the human race. He quoted, once upon a time, Do not grow old no matter how long you live. Never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery into which we were born. In plain speak, we think where he's saying, stay young, stay full of hope and energy in order to make the changes that are needed in our world. Stay young. Don't ever grow old, no matter how old you may be. Another way he might say that, this is me speculating, he would, he would say, stay real. Stay real. Stay, stay cur curious. Stay, find truth. Yes. Stay real. Don't, don't go the fantasy route. Yeah. Keep it real. Yeah. And there's so much reality out there to learn about, and that's a beautiful thing, and don't ever stop. And we have an ideal that celebrates that all humans are the same in so many ways, but that we are each unique and should be supported in that exploration and self-expression as long as it brings no harm to anyone else. Well, speaking of that, we heard about a debate that's going on over a black student's suspension over his hairstyle. 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 Oh, boy. Here's the story. The debate over whether a black high school student in Texas should be serving in-school suspension for wearing twisted dreadlocks to class intensified as the student's family and his school district both took legal action. Krista and I are both having flashbacks, and Lee, you can chime in here about your your hairstyle of high school, which I know about, <laughs> which we've talked about. Shoulder length. There you go. Well... 
at the high school that Krista and I went to, you couldn't have shoulder length hair if you were a boy or you had to wear a wig. And let me just say that the wigs that prob probably a quarter or a third of the boys in my high school wore were intentionally the most god-awful, <laughs> ugly wigs right. imaginable, and they had to tuck their hair underneath. I let my hair go long, but never quite long enough to where I had to wear a wig because I wasn't going to do that. Yes. And it was ridiculous. It was so absurd walking down the halls of this school because some power that be thought that the self-expression of how you wanted to wear your hair was something that they had the right to make judgment over. Yeah. So you just spoke a mouthful, right? Ridiculous and absurd. Does the fate of the world turn on some kid's hairstyle? Oh my God. And why would we deprive any individual from expressing who they are. Let's go squash their self-expression and their uniqueness. I mean, I just feel so much for this kid and other kids who've been through similar things. He will carry this for the rest of his life. And it may not damage him, but it's always going to be within his memory. Well, a story like this comes up and we're instantly transported back to high school, right? I remember a girl in my senior high school honors English class being sent to the principal because she came to school wearing a pantsuit. Girls had to wear skirts. You know what? I remember that. I'm day. that old. I do because there was a moment when the earth rotated on its axis in the reverse direction. Exactly. Yes. I mean, to take a child, a young person, out of school to to have, lose an hour of education, it's worth that. Yeah. To, I, yeah. Do not understand the Amazing. battles over this. But this this young man is clearly having a really difficult time. Oh, man. So let's give some details here. Yeah. Daryl George is his name. He's 17. He's a junior at Barbers Hill High School. And he'd been serving in in-school suspension. Really? Barbers? Barbers Hill. Barbers? Yeah. Haircutting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Didn't make this up. Okay. Barbers Hill. High school. I guess you had to go up to the hill to get your haircut. Oh, yeah. perhaps so. Yeah. Okay. It's a Houston area school. We are not making, those of you from Barbers Hill, we are not making fun of your name. But in relation to this story, oh my God. Okay. So school officials say his dreadlocks fall below his eyebrows and earlobes and violate the district's dress code. His mom and the family's attorney denied that the teenager's hairstyle violates that dress code and have accused the district of violating a new state law. This is really interesting. A new state law that outlaws racial discrimination based on hairstyles. This new law, the Crown Act, took effect September 1. Uh, the mom and her attorney filed a formal complaint alleging that her son was being harassed and mistreated by school district officials over his hair and that his in-school suspension was in violation of this new law. The Crown Act is an acronym for Create a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. That sounds like a pretty cool deal. It's intended to prohibit race-based hair discrimination and bars of employers and schools from penalizing people because of hair texture or styles. Texas is actually one of 24 states that have enacted a version of this act. And a federal a version of the act passed in the House was not successful yet in the Senate. Daryl George's family has said it plans to file a federal lawsuit against the school district. This young man's mother has said that the fight to have her son return to class 
has taken a toll on her mentally and physically, in addition to the pain that her son has been suffering. She said she recently was hospitalized after a series of panic and anxiety attacks brought on from stress. She said, I try not to show everything because I have to stay strong for my son. I have to stay strong and stay in the fight, but it is draining. This young man, Daryl George, did return to his regular first period class, was welcomed by his teacher and his classmates, and for a moment he, as he said, felt free for a little bit. But soon after his return, the school principal pulled him out of class, returned him to in-school suspension over his hair, and for allegedly wearing an earring. Oh, man. I know. There's those horrible things that disrupt the world, Mm. which his mother said he does not wear to school. And as he said, so the principal snatched my freedom right back away. In a statement, the school district said it would not enhance the current punishment. Oh, how big of them. Oh, that's swell. Wow. Yeah. Just just power, 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 you know, speaking down to others. Said it would not enhance the current punishment against Daryl George while it waits for a ruling on its lawsuit. Oh, so maybe there is a legal advice component to that. Oh, we better not enhance this punishment because that could go poorly in court. And a further thought relatedly to what you were saying earlier, I think about not only the sadness and the grief and the anger and the frustration that this young man must have felt, but imagine all the other kids in his class. Sure. Everybody else in the school, they all know about it. Yes. And, and it's just, they will carry that as well. Yeah, they will. And Chris, I want to go back to the comments you made about dress code for girls when you and I were going to school. These things tend to affect everyone. Yes. Most of the boys in my high school that had to wear wigs were white boys. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about these, this kind of power and use of it tends to affect all genders and... Uh, all races. Yeah, absolutely. So in previous conversations about pictures, we've talked about creations, diversity, and the connectedness of all things, and the inclusiveness that we would like to see occur. This will always seep through any dam that privileged and exclusionary humans try to create. One of the magic miracles of the cosmos. While we sensitively and emphatically resist the horrors of privilege and exclusionary practices when they do occur, this is important, we do keep our hope, knowing that in time, privilege and exclusion and power greed and all of the rest will be defeated by equality for all. We're already seeing that with such things as online access to books that others want to ban alternative college admission practices to level the playing field for minorities and the non-wealthy and underserved populations. And we're also seeing it with voting for women to own choices about their own bodies. We like this quote from Confucius. Life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. So how do we simplify life? We use simple to complex to simple. That concept leads to wisdom. We support the unique expression of every one of us, and we support equality for all. We are all equal. We all matter equally. So we always like to move toward the end of these podcasts talking about optimism, momentum, and gratitude. 
And sometimes the word fight, which can lots of times be a violent word, gets used for standing up for yourself, for standing up for what you believe in, and for standing up for a better future. There was a wonderful quote from a character in the TV series, Future Listeners, called Ted Lasso, which is a wonderful series. Those of you in the future, if you have access to that series, please watch it. And a character at that point said, don't fight back, fight forward. And in that vein, what we're talking about here is that your pictures and your ideals are all that you need. It's simple. And for that, we are very, very grateful. Humanity tries to find some other way to survive other than just loving each other, helping each other, appreciating our diversity, creation's diversity, and appreciating our common connections. We would say there is no other way for us to survive. And we are very hopeful that we're going to figure out how to do that. With confidence, know that humanity is always going to come back to this same fork in the road because there is no other way for us to survive in the future. And as we've said before, if we just do our part, that's all we have to do with our ideals and our pictures, one day we will choose that road not yet taken. Mm. Please believe it. All right, listeners, fight forward. We always close with the questions. What are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? And what is your unique influence to use? Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining. And Krista, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Everybody take care. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures. <laughs>